It's Brad Hook here from the Resilience Institute, and today I'm joined by my colleague, Declan Scott, and we are going to be talking about tough talks. Hopefully, we won't have one. Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, am I live and you can hear me okay? Yep, all good. You're on air. So, oh, yeah. uh, thanks for joining us today. And, um, yeah, what, what's our subject of discussion today? Yeah, well, I thought of what would be an interesting topic and something that's been coming up a lot lately is, is this whole um, area of conflict resolution, uh, tough talking. And a lot of us are a little bit afraid about it. And um, really, it's one of those professional development competencies that if we could take a pill and suddenly have enough courage and conviction in what we're doing to to deal with challenging and conflicting situations than we certainly would. Now, tough talking is probably one of the outcomes of resilience practice or practical resilience. So, you know, how we build our personal resilience does lead to relationship resilience. And, you know, one of the incredible things about uh, looking at this topic is you will certainly get an opportunity to practice it. So that's uh, regardless of whether you, unless you live in a cave somewhere, but if you really do uh, start to become more self-aware in how you are showing up each day and looking with a little bit more introspection, then this whole topic becomes a real area of interest, um, albeit challenging, but one that great leaders cultivate and are able to manage pretty well. So we're going to look at this um, over the course of the next 20, 25 minutes and would welcome your comments, questions, feedbacks. And if there are things that we touch on that uh, can be the future conversations, we're really happy to do that as well. So, so I'm going to kick off by um, just outlining a little agenda, if I may, and um, um, share this screen here. Great. I want a little introduction to the topic and uh, to look at it in terms of, well, what is conflict? Why does it arise? And perhaps what are the skills that we have to develop um, just as our own uh, personal competencies? Maybe it's a KPI that we want to set uh, for, with our own uh, career because this is certainly something that is a skill you can carry anywhere regardless of where you go, right from home to the workplace, uh, even to your community. And uh, what are the potential sources of conflict? Because they sort of bracket into a few basic areas. Um, and it's sometimes good to just understand, you know, why has this arisen? And uh, what is there, is there a purpose to this? We're going to look very briefly at some forms of engagement, um, which I'll explain more when we come to that point, uh, before good conversations. So I love this term, good conversations, because... Um, one of my favorite movies was The Last Samurai. And I always remember the emperor, he would describe it as this has been a good conversation. And so it's a nice way to look at a conversation because we do get a sense of uh, fulfillment and you know, accomplishment when we have a challenging conversation and it's, we, we actually get to a resolution. We feel good about ourselves and we feel that we've done something positive when we've stood up to a situation and and not faded away from it or avoided it. So good conversations is something that we, we can learn to start having some reflection on. Uh, and the final topic is, well, how do we go about preparing? And is there a process that we can go through to support us in this, uh, in this whole 
topic. Okay, so if we look at uh, the introduction, I thought a good place to begin would be with this um, chart. And Brad will include a link on this to, to a, an article that's on our website called Tough Talks. Yes. Um, and uh, I love this uh, quote by Susan Scott. Again, really recommend her book, Fierce Conversations. Uh, our lives succeed or fail. Sorry for the typo. Our lives succeed or fail one conversation at a time. And, you know, as we go through our day, what we are seeing in a lot of the businesses and communities we work in is that people are often dealing with a lot of overwhelm, uh, overload, and everybody's got the same mantra, I'm busy. What happens then is that we lose a little bit of the, the empathy and, and sometimes impulse control that we need. Uh, we shoot from the hip and we say things that we later regret or we look back and reflect and go, I could have done and dealt with that better. So this distribution curve, as you can see, is, is the extremes of the types of things that are going on in the world from, you know, hatred and anger and narcissism um, right through to how we collaborate and, and flow in our lives, which, you know, having meaningful expertise in this area really does uh, accomplish a lot when we look at, you know, the the great leaders of our time are even people that we work with, that we enjoy uh, collaborating with and working with. Very often they'll have a lot of skill in coaching and they're trusted in leading the team. And this is not something you, you cultivate overnight. It's something, a skill you build on over a lifetime. And, you know, so when we talk about resilience in terms of, of the wider picture in the daily activities that you must do, whether it be physical well-being uh, or mental and emotional well-being, as well as spiritual well-being. Literally, the, how you show up each day makes a difference. And uh, so looking at even today, what were the, the routine or the practices that you put in place today so that you could be the best form of yourself, that you could have um, asked yourself that question uh, where we begin each day and look at how can I be the best form of myself today or bring my best game today? Mm. You know, it's, and, you know, people in the public eye often, you know, are more resilient by virtue of the fact they have to, they get quick feedback, they are in the public eye, and so they, they have to face this challenge constantly, uh, and it's built into their training routine. Um, so when we look back at um, this, this topic, we can start to understand, well, what do I need to do today? Get my morning ritual in place, understand what's essential so that I can bring more freedom and creativity into my day. And, uh, and really moving from what we would describe as from compulsion to choice. So when we move from compulsion to choice, we start to have quick wins. We start to feel better about ourselves and and make a difference. Um, we master ourselves. We master that ability. So, you know, one of the, the charts that we often uh, use in our workshops is the first stage of, of becoming a great leader is self-awareness, um, developing insight, building confidence. And that together with optimism and impulse control 
really does enable us to to start to build the skills of greater social awareness and uh, building trust in a team. So before we even get into the topic of, of conflict and dealing with uh, conflict resolution, I really invite you to step back and look at how you are managing and uh, showing up in your life. Because if you are a leader or manager, your presence and how you perform each day matters. You are the decisive factor in a team and have the biggest influence on the lives of those that you work with. So that's not a small thing. You know, when, um, and, and many people have, uh, there's lots of evidence to, to demonstrate this, that, you know, we work well for those that we love. And, you know, that might be a term you're comfortable or not comfortable with using. However, affection is the number one desirable quality in a leader, in a manager, affection. It's exactly the same in schools and teachers. Mm-hmm. Children work and uh, perform for those teachers that they love. And you recall that back from your own days in school or when you were working with a coach, perhaps, it really did draw out the best in you. It's really amazing that uh, we want to do well. We want to be on their team because we, we have a sense that they care for us and it's something that they, we know that they will be straight. There's clear boundaries in that. They, and we know that we're on that one team, so we want to win together and, and to feel good about ourselves. So, you know, the job of manager sometimes is a thankless one and you know, we feel we bring to it our own baggage, of course. So the more that we can be and cultivate that self-awareness uh, through the different resilience programs that we run, the better you'll be able to deal with this topic uh, in a more informed way. You know, looking at the other side of it, what are the costs to having, you know, poor conflict resolution or perhaps um, avoidance of conflict? Then... You know, some of the costs are like loss of good members of the team or reduced support from your team. People really uh, look to you to deal with situations as well. Maybe there is one team member that's dragging down the team or having a negative impact on the wider team. Then they're looking to you to sort it out. And, you know, more and more, we, uh, we will not tolerate in, in our modern day society um, this type of behavior. There's no tolerance for what some would describe as a bullying attitude or, you know, and it impacts everybody. Uh, there's, there's a loss of productivity. There's a loss of trust and, you know, a lot of distress. So where there is a um, negative, if you want to call it negative energy, um, then it can lead to a lack of clarity and understanding. And that distress destroys creativity and it destroys constructive um, conversation. So I want to come back uh, one step now to, um, to just looking at this topic again of um, what, what are we going to do about it? What's our next? Um, so, so coming back to, um, I'm not sure if I can get back up to the agenda again and look at our second point. I think we have, we have enough background on to why, where it comes from and why we do it. I think the second point I had was on um, the sources of conflict. And um, so when we look at sources of conflict, this is, um, here we go, skills we need to develop. That's the one. So self-awareness is a big one. And self-management. 
mastery. So having an insight to know, well, where am I at? Um, and maybe in 10 minutes time, I'm going to go into a meeting with, um, or a situation that has a potential conflict. You know, what are the sort of practices we need to develop, the skills that we need to develop to enable us to perform at our maximum? And it's counterintuitive, but the more that we can calm down to power up, the better we perform in that situation. And all you have to do is watch somebody like Roger Federer um, through his routine, even after perhaps a very intense rally um, in 20 seconds, 25 seconds, he's back on the baseline ready for the next shot. So we have to build in some really um, good skills to enable us to, to master that. Again, we can watch something like Roger Federer, and we expect that. However, can we start to develop that? So when we start to work on awareness and building our confidence in, in our ability to look after our team, we start to then have more influence. Yeah. Now, we all have influence. It can be negative uh, or positive. But when you develop your confidence, which is done through doing things, through action, we build confidence. Somebody can't just tell you, be more confident. It comes about through action, through doing. We, we start to actually feel better about ourselves and you know, so that's why resilience is not just a cognitive process. No. We start to do things, we feel good. And giving people the opportunity to grow and to challenge themselves, we build confidence. So that's definitely a skill that we focus on a lot in our resilience training, how to build confidence in, in what we do. Um, another is empathy. Well, this is, it comes with insight that we we begin to understand the needs of others and the interests of others. Again, we'll come on back to this in point six under preparation and process. But when we look at empathy and what are the practices and skills that we can develop around empathy, it's clearly beneficial to everyone. And these are skills and attitudes. You know, when somebody, when you're sitting down with a colleague or with somebody that perhaps you're responsible for, these are the personal development and challenges that we all face so putting it in that context that this is a skill that we can can grow together in um, will sometimes make it a lot easier to sell this whole whole idea uh, of we have to have a difficult conversation uh, because there's the buy-in from both sides and um, you know something that uh, I came across just yesterday when I was looking at mental well-being in the workplace you know, sources of conflict and how people relate to different situations is, is down to human factors. It's very personal. So, you know, something that uh, we don't think about a lot is that there's often a mixture of, of injustices or low justice when it comes to even um, information or procedures or, or proper um, rewards to efforts. And, our peers and our direct reports can often feel that. Are we holding on to information? Are we using it in, in a way that is out of self-interest rather than thinking about the wider group? So having the ability to, um, to be constructive in these situations, remembering that people need to be acknowledged and valued. Um, and 
you know, some of the things that, um, that I enjoy uh, when we're running workshops is when we start looking at well, what, what is the need of this person? And are they looking for attention? Are they seeking perhaps appreciation? Are they looking for affection? Or maybe it's just acceptance. One of those four is. So attention, acceptance, appreciation, or affection. You know, tuning in and having that empathy to, to really inquire and understand what, what does this person need? Asking the question, you know, what are you thinking? Or instead of what's the matter with you, well, what matters to you? So that relatedness as well is, is core to really developing in this whole topic around conflict resolution. You know, so it is a skill we build up in this in a very deliberate way. And so moving on to the third area, um, you know, which is looking at how, how conflict arises. And, you know, it can come in many different ways. So I often hear this, that um, I'm dependent on somebody else for a particular goal, or they've made a promise and they haven't delivered. Yeah. You know, they're, they're all manageable, but when we have different value sets, that's the, the most difficult one to manage. And I can't emphasize enough that when you're in the induction or employment stage recruitment phase of, of an organization, this is really where value alignment is essential. It's exactly the same in, in the area of sport and performance, high performance athletes, for instance. How there's an alignment between the coach and and the athlete. So this is something you do up front. The very fact that you are agreeing on a common purpose together, uh, you are setting the values in place. You know, and when values misalign, you see on the you know on the TV, it ends up in war. It ends up in you know yeah dissolution. Yeah. Different values and. Um, this is why value alignment is so powerful. So different values can be one source. Um, oftentimes, if you are coming from different values, then maybe both people are right. And that can, that can be really confusing because particularly where you've got more authority perhaps in, by virtue of your title or your position, doesn't necessarily mean that you really do have more authority. It's just by, it's, it's called agency power. Um, then you will impose your opinion on the other. But perhaps there is different value alignments that uh, we don't sometimes appreciate. And that's becoming more apparent in, in mixed cultures uh, where we have people from different backgrounds that have different values. So, mm -hmm. that's so that there are ways to make that work. Even if you do have different values, you can try and find a middle ground. Absolutely, you know, and that's just understanding theirs. Exactly, and asking the question, having been open to the conversation. So if we start to have a little bit more patience, I know patience is a virtue, but when we start to be thoughtful about their interests and understanding is, you know, David Rock and his, his model on SCARF, S-C-A-R-F, talks about relatedness. We can develop and relate more to the people that we work with. So that's a really interesting one. Uh, he has written a book called Your Brain at Work, if, if you're interested in the topic. The next thing um, is objectives. So we have different, um, we have limited resources that we're trying to achieve something. 
most common in the workplace. And there's high stakes involved or a lot to lose, perhaps. Uh, and we see this a lot in sport. There's a lot to lose. You know, you don't make first 15. You don't get on the Olympic team. And, and so you're dealing with many stakeholders. Yeah. It's not the athlete. It could be the athlete's parents and, and the funders and everybody else. And, you know, this is a, a conversation that a lot of coaches really are challenged by. And, and so helping them deal with and put the right processes in place is really important. Same for you in your workplace. You've invested a lot in bringing this person into the organization. You, you know, there's a lot of hope and that you, uh, you have a lot of confidence in their ability. And then we quickly, um, we sabotage it sometimes. We don't get the best out of people. And as a leader or a manager in an organization, we do have to take some responsibility for that. And um, so how clear we define those uh, objectives is really important. And uh, the third area is around poor planning and execution, um, particularly when it comes to complex tasks uh, that are interdependent. So when we don't meet the expectation, it has a knock-on effect on others as well. And knowing that there are different needs in different situations, there are potential sources, and you know that we'll have many others, you know, particularly when we come to, to home base and, you know, dealing with that conflict with your teenage daughter or son perhaps or neighbor that's playing their music too loud at night yeah last year and you know somebody rocked up and pulled in next to us with a big boom box and having the courage and the confidence in yourself to be able to have that conversation it can happen in many different ways yeah so deliberately practicing these skills uh, they can be applied to personal work life your entire life. Absolutely. For better and, outcomes. And you do, you know, obviously you can sit and stew on it and that's a um, perfect segue into the next um, part of looking at, well, do I just not have the conversation? Do I sit and listen to the, the loud boom, boom music while I'm looking out at the lake and just cope with it? Or does it boil my blood and <laughs> just can't handle it? Um, <laughs> So we don't feel good about ourselves when we avoid the conversation. You know, yeah. this is, is the number one. You know, and it's a good thing to ask, well, is this something that I let roll? Or do I actually need to speak up? Because avoidance is a lose-lose situation. And you know, it's an unfortunate thing that we often don't have those candid conversations where we should. We don't build up the practice and we don't build up the expectation, having clear boundaries. Um, you know, for a coach, for instance, we often see that as they build up uh, clear expectations around, well, what's, what's expected? Uh, what is, you know, what are we both agreeing to? And if we don't agree to that, how are we going to, um, what are the repercussions of that? Or how do we get it back on track? And, and to reflect on that as well, so that there's quick feedback loops. So, you know, literally you do the work up front in setting out, this is what we clearly have to put in place. And if it doesn't work, this is what's happening. So being clear, setting your expectations, setting your purpose, and define consequences um, with that quick feedback. It's very explicit. And, and that liberates energy. But when we avoid it, 
we are allowing it to roll on and it's exactly the same with your your children at home uh, do i say anything you know it's very easy in the context of a sport or an athlete to go one of the clear expectations is that you show up to training on time or you have um, slept well or eaten well and these are all building blocks to winning the game they are and really brutal and ruthless when you get that feedback that you can work your way back and see well Obviously, there's something we need to work on here because I'm not winning. And if you're a boxer and getting constantly knocked out, well, maybe you need to look back at the steps and see, well, where, where am I not preparing properly? So, so that's a really good thing. But avoidance of these issues is just um, deferring it. Then you've got your win-lose situation where you do approach it um, and you get what you want as a manager. But oftentimes, it's through threat and you know, the other person is just submitting and going, okay, I'll do what I'm told. Very much back into the, the classroom mentality that some of us might have been brought up on. And so um, not a good result either. You may have got your way, but, you know, people don't forget these sort of things in the workplace. So if you have won this situation, um, then it perhaps, and the other person feels that, that you've proven them wrong, perhaps, or that they feel bad, then that's a win-lose situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially if it creates a disengagement for them and, you know, sends them into distress. Yeah, and, you know, correct. Once there's distress and rumination in this, then it, it oftentimes doesn't go away very quickly. And, and we call that competition, that win-lose. So, yeah, you might have a critical situation with high risk, uh, and leadership has to be established, um, but trust and collaboration is definitely reduced. Um, you know, the third area is accommodation. That's a lose-win. So it's the opposite to win-lose. And in this case, you decide to let it slide. It's important to the other parties and you allow others to learn the disadvantages. It looks like you're caving in and could be a type of avoidance as well. So that's not great either. We call that accommodation. And, you know, this is... Again, not what we're looking for in effective conflict resolution. The, the fourth is trading off, is compromise. We're all familiar with this, having a compromise, finding common ground. You just need to have a teenager in the house and you know about compromise. Um, look, it's about signaling respect for each other. That's great. And it may meet certain requirements, but it's often temporary. And, you know, it is about, uh, it sets limits on what you're going to do. So compromise isn't, an effective form of engagement either. Okay. Uh, it's almost a little bit of avoidance because you're not actually achieving anything. <laughs> right. Oh, Again, we may think, oh, well, that's a good result and we're, we're willing to trade off, but there's still, there's limits to it as well. And uh, it, you find that common ground. Uh, but in the, in the workplace where, where we really do want to create a win-win situation and, and allow people to feel some sort of autonomy in their work, which is one of the core concerns we'll come on to in a few moments, where you've got real concern for the issues and the relationship, and you want to build trust and creativity. You want to make it work for everyone. Um, it requires courage. It requires like exploration and openness to, to decide, well, how are we going to work this out? And it does take time. It does take empathy. And uh, it's a huge self-development challenge. So being good at this is one of the key emotional competencies. You know, where you enter this terrain, 
Um, there's a whole cluster of emotional intelligence skills that we build up, as we talked about a little earlier, be it you know, building confidence or insight into where I'm at, self-awareness, emotional regulation, building up that trust then. Um, and ultimately, a great skill of leadership is the ability to coach. And um, you know, really, if you can become the best coach you possibly can be, it's one of those skills that you will never be without work. Uh, so, you know, if you see yourself avoiding this whole topic and wanting to be liked by everyone, um, then, you know, you're missing out on an opportunity. And, you know, the workplace is, is a fantastic place to develop this opportunity. And um, so we can start to work in a lot more uh, informed way. Um, you know, in thinking about this conversation, the difficult conversation, the Harvard Negotiation Project did a really interesting little study on this, and you can look it up on the Harvard Business Review. Um, they said there's actually three conversations taking place in any, any interaction. The first one is what actually happened. The second one is what's the feelings that are involved or the emotions. And the third one is what's the identity around it? How does it impact our identity? And oftentimes, as the identity question is more relevant or to the forefront in all of us, and said nobody wants to to deal with conflict because it's built into our biology that it's it's about uh, that threat or risk of facing something. And so, you know, we don't want to face other people's anger, or we don't want to regret, or we don't want to face that sadness. And so, we avoid, and it's part of our survival. It is, yeah. Avoiding hostility. I mean, that's a survival practice. Yeah, we want to get out of there. And so often we'll either use anger to try and close it down or we'll actually be sad and we, we don't deal with it effectively. Or we mm. just submission and or we re regret something. So, you know, that identity question is so important and it's a really good one to hold gently with your team member because, you know, it may be a peer-to-peer -peer relationship where actually... When you look at a, a conflict situation, it's oftentimes we look at it in the context of what is this saying about me? Am I competent? You know, am I a good person? And am I capable of love? Um, which, you know, they're very core to, to who we see ourselves as. And the more that you have insight into this conversation for the other person, um, you know, again, sometimes you don't have to have the conversation, but making sure that that's not avoidance either and understanding that for us to collaborate and to win together, there will need a little bit of friction and adjustment. It's a little bit like um, you're realigning your car wheels. If it's constantly pulling off yeah. or it and you'll wear down the tires or you can go, okay, I'm going to realign this and we're going to get back on track. The more often you do that and the quicker you do it in your workplace, it becomes just part of your day. Yeah. And you can then focus on what actually happened rather than the identity question. So I'm not a big fan of annual appraisals. I'm not a big fan of, you know, three months later getting some feedback. It's, you know, it's not about um, just trying to be liked, which obviously we all are invested in having meaningful collaboration. And, and we crave that. We crave, you know, successful teams and, you know, we want to feel part of a team. It's, it's a great feeling when you can get a team, you know, together. But it's inevitable that it's not always going to be that way. And that's sometimes a good way to begin that. Actually, there's going to be difficult conversations mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. Part of my job. And 
you know, there's some evidence to suggest we don't actually mind giving negative um, feedback or something that will upset people. We just don't like to be around at the time. Uh, so <laughs> we'll offer email. So if you're an email dumper, be very cautious with that because you're not getting that face-to-face -face contact. You're not, you know, being able to check those little micro changes in body language. You know, and I often talk about this in workshops that 93% of the conversation you're having with somebody is about body language and tone. Mm. And lose that when you use emails or texts. And, you know, I've even heard of some employers dismissing or, you know, letting people go over text, which is unbelievable, rather than having sitting down and really empathizing with that person, taking the time to connect with them. So if you are guilty of that, maybe this is one action from this call today, that uh, this webinar that you can start to decide this face-to-face -face connection is so essential. And it's where we can allow that um, real understanding with, with each other. So I want to move on to... Um, I can't even remember what the next topic is, Brad, but maybe you can... Uh, forms of engagement and good conversations and preparation and process left. Okay, brilliant. So when we look at, you know, these, um, the forms of engagement was that lose-lose, uh, mm -hmm. win-lose, that's the forms of engagement, uh, right through to collaboration. Right. Focus collaboration, okay? The next one then is good conversations. And I did prep a little um, slide for you on this so that um, we can... I have a quick look at forms of engagement again. Here we go. Good conversations. So being clear about the time, the location, the agenda, and these good conversations say, uh, this is our core needs, appreciation, affiliation, status, role, and autonomy. Again, they're quite similar to David Rock's SCARF model, if you wanted to look at that either. Plenty written about that. But this is the one that we use here, and I'll just um, put this up on the screen as well. Appreciation that you start and ease into it, making people feel comfortable. And that's often a lot to do with the environment. Sometimes you should go off-site and have a nice, positive environment to even go for a walk, if that helps. People think and feel differently when they're outside in nature. A whole area called biophilia that uh, we may talk more about in another call. And... Um, knowing that is met when you acknowledge the other person. Affiliation, again, you don't keep people at, uh, at a distance, you treat them as a colleague, as an equal. And particularly when we look at deliberate organizations where it's not about rank, it's actually about this is a human being that we are responsible to and for. Um, and we're all in that game together. Uh, autonomy, I think we know what that means, but... The freedom to make decisions, and there's lots of um, studies done on this where people lower down in an organization perhaps are not in a position of control, um, really do suffer from distress and anxiety more than those at the top of the organization. So as a manager, you often have a more a greater degree of control and autonomy than somebody that's working for you. And it's... Um, thinking about, well, how do I enable or give more autonomy uh, and meaning and purpose for them? Because purpose builds courage. And autonomy doesn't mean that you have to let them run riot and do their own thing. But even asking for, for their opinion and 
This is about that collaboration, the win-win situation, empowering them to come up with, come up with solutions as well. Um, that even contribution, um, everybody in the organization will see it uh, from their own perspective. And they may have some very valuable insights regardless of their title or position or even longevity in the firm. Because yeah. they come into it fresh and they'll see, whoa, we could do this much smarter. But obviously, um, that's up to you to enable that autonomy uh, and respect from that, that person. So status this is about your relative standing and um, having that recognition. You know, I can't um, emphasize that one enough. When we, when we start to really look at status as, um, as something that I just read from it. Yeah, sometimes we judge ourselves. And so playing against yourself, as you develop these skills, look at, wow, I used to react in this situation or I used to not be good at these conversations. So change that um, neural signal to go i i want to be good at this i am good at this so you actually start to support uh, a new approach to yourself and play against yourself on this one where you can recognize and um, develop these skills and sometimes you need a trusted friend or a mentor to help you with that practicing the situation things like that um, the final one is role and understanding that um, fulfillment Purpose and fulfillment is such an important aspect to our well-being that um, you're responsible to help everybody in the organization achieve um, that, that role, if you like. So when we look at, at role, um, it's something that uh, you have a big role to play. Okay, So, um, so back in this listen carefully, question skillfully. You know, you may say, oh, listen carefully. Of course, I'd listen. I am in our experience and guilty of this as well. We are um, often absorbed in what we are thinking while we are listening. We are ready to punch with our next point before somebody has finished their sentence. Yeah. Um, and I often have to apologize for this myself. So one uh, tip that a friend of mine actually told me about is, well, Ask seven questions before you talk about yourself or make sure that you start to um, cultivate listening carefully, but not just listening from I hear you, but empathetically listening where I feel what's going on for you. And without trying to psychoanalyze the person, but it's a very, it's a great skill to develop. And if somebody feels you're not listening, then you have very little positive influence over their lives because they won't trust that you are um, taking on board what they are saying. And it's not necessarily about going with what they say, but people do want to be valued and being heard is important. So that's back to that attention. Um, they may need to be able to voice something. So feeling safe in the environment um, some have called it psychological safety, has the ability to bring out the best creative conversations. And, and then being really clear about the boundaries. You know, when we come back to looking at, well, this is our purpose together. We want to get to a point of uh, collaboration and winning together. Then being clear that we have to, uh, to work within certain boundaries. When there are limited resources, we can be more creative. And uh, so... Just think about that in our good conversations as well. And so 
Just very quickly to finish off, we're looking at conflicts resolution process. It is a practice. There is a process. And as we have that process and being prepared will help us be more, will help the meeting be more productive and understanding different perspectives as well to avoid those painful, really they are painful um, outcomes from, from conflict. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, this is a professional development. So, you know, this is a chart that starts in the top left and works way down and across up the middle and over to the right. So mm. a culture of, you know, I'm using the word candor instead of honesty here because honesty is, is uh, such a loaded word at times. Candor is the ability to completely um, just say it as it is um, without any guilt or judgment in it. And yeah. we welcome that. And we can prepare for a conversation where we're willing to be just upfront and clear. And we know when we coming back to the, the great coaches of our time, um, clear performance guidelines is essential. So if we're looking at, you know, take it an all blacks coach since we're here in New Zealand, but wherever it is, it could be the Seattle Seahawks and um, Pete Carroll, you know, having clarity around the purpose, clear expectations with defined consequences and quick feedback, it's, it's much easier then to approach this conversation. Um, because it's something you're doing every day. And um, particularly when you have it face-to-face, -face, you do see those human signals. You do become appreciative of the, the underlying dramas and the different styles. Um, you know, there are different ways that people deal with these things. And, you know, particularly some people get very aggressive. Uh, you've got to be aware of that. Some people are non-aggressive and they'll just flop and submit. And... Um, more dangerous one is the passive aggressive. They're the ones that are taking it on board while quietly bubbling up inside and getting more and more angry and not showing it until literally the straw that breaks the camel's back. They'll explode later on somebody yeah. else. Something else. And that's the passive aggressive one. And that's something that, you know, we all can be guilty of. And we incubate these thoughts that ruminate and, and create anger in us and, um, yeah, that's one to be very clear about. And the final one is, is being assertive and um, being clear. And as a leader, working on that clarity and being assertive is a great quality. Um, and it's really a, a huge part of self-development that uh, we're talking about. Then we move into preparation for the process and um, for the actual meeting. So, you know, and this coming back to that Harvard uh, negotiation project, you know, they look at things like you walk through those three conversations, the one around the identity as well as what actually happened or the feeling conversation, what emotions yeah. are involved, and decide whether to raise the issue and start from, well, how is it feeling for them? How must they view it? Um, explore their story as well as yours. And even from an objective third party, if, if you're writing an article about the situation, really looking at it objectively and or asking a friend for, for some objective um, reflection on it as well can really help. And then being open to problem solve and say, inventing solutions that both sides are part of. So, you know, as we prepare for a conversation, be aware that your intention sometimes is not the same as the impact. So you might say, I need to have a conversation with you tomorrow. Um, the impact of that may be, you know, that person spends the next day uh, worrying and upset and concerned. Yeah. And, you know, having a clear um, idea of what 
the meeting is about and setting that out um, will really support both sides to be prepared rather than dropping them in it in the middle of it. So you can also commit to being calm and focused that you're not going to have an outburst because oftentimes when, a, when something triggers our, our emotions, it's not the time to speak about it. It's, the emotions can sometimes give us insight, but we have to allow that to settle for us to see clearer what's going on. Yeah. Um, so committing to not having outbursts or reacting in the situation will support you through this process. Um, and, you know, if in doubt, just zip it. Don't say something that you're going to regret later. Oh, uh, this is where tactical calm comes in. Calm. This is where breathing is really important. And, yeah. you know, we, we'll be doing other webinars on this tactical calm topic because it's coming up more and more, right down to training school children in yeah. tactical and the power of the breath that we take for granted. Uh, so empathy and social cognition, you know, that's back to understanding, well, how is this and how are they feeling? Uh, then we have the engagement itself. You know, I suggest you do it probably first thing in the morning if you're looking for um, focused attention, clear yeah. agenda, setting that out and, and being honest with or candid with what you are actually um, there for. Um, involving the other person as well and making sure you allow time for feedback and clarification afterwards. Uh, this is something that we are often so relieved to get through the situation that we don't go back and, you know, reinforce that. Was that clear? Even asking for feedback. And uh, so when we ask for feedback, how was that? Um, was it okay in, in that conversation? Did you feel okay? So, People do feel valued when they're asked for feedback, even if it is a difficult conversation. And, you know, understanding that we're all on this learning curve, even the best negotiators and, you know, leaders do mess this up and uh, look, having the opportunity to, to learn about this. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's those um, outbursts and reactions that sometimes take us by shock. And we, subsequently reflect and go, oh, I can't believe I said that, or maybe that wasn't what I meant, how it came across. So taking the time to reflect and review after having a conversation will uh, not only enable the next one to take place uh, in a more, if you like, um, better way, but it's something that you build that practice. And uh, this is a practice. Um, that is the skill that you are endeavoring to to grow in. So I hope this is relevant to you. I hope it's supportive to you and um, that you get some uh, value out of this webinar. If it's uh, an area that we can support you in more uh, or with your team, we'd be delighted to come and see how we can do that. And um, so back to you, Brad. Yeah, look, that was uh, incredibly insightful. Thanks for preparing the presentation for us today. And I think running through what we've covered, um, just being able to define conflict, uh, have a understanding of the fact that we can develop those skills through deliberate practice, just as you can with your sleep, your exercise, your nutrition, something that you build in to your, to your day. Um, and you can use it at home. You can find these sources of conflict everywhere from the, the parking lot to 
the workplace um, and, and just understanding that there's different ways to engage with people, having those good conversations that you can actually create the conditions for a good conversation, you know, going off site, asking for feedback and, and just being prepared and following that process. It's a, it's a really powerful thing and something that we often miss. And yeah, we don't, we don't like to hear things negative. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, Ken Blanchard talked about uh, feedback is the breakfast of champions. And, you know, I must say it's something that I continually ask for feedback. So if you have a feedback around this call, please um, practice giving it gently and kindly because uh, I'm still very sensitive to it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is one of those things. Mm. Feedback, regardless of your position, is, is something that grows us. And, yes. And look, every interaction, coming back to where we started this call, you know, every interaction matters. And uh, we literally deal with it one conversation at the time. So cultivating that presence and uh, with the, the article that Brad will attach to this, you'll get a lot of, um, from Dr. Sven, you will get a lot of um, more of the, the, the emotional and uh, mind uh, tips around making sure that you're in your best um, best performance uh, during that particular interaction. Uh, right back to like, how did I sleep? Or am I, how is my blood sugar going at the moment? Um, yeah, yeah. Am I exhausted? Am I, you know, suffering from something else that's going on? Or am I ruminating about something or worried about it in the future? Um, am I actually really present? So if we look at the simple things when we come to that engagement, whether it be, are we open in our body or are we closed? Are yeah. we sleeping? Are we engaging? Are we empathetic even in our eyebrows, our facial expression? All of those things, you can read more about that in the article as well and feedback your comments. That's excellent. Thanks so much, Declan. It's been a pleasure as always, and I look forward to the next webinar with you. Brilliant. Thanks, Mia. Have a great day, everyone, and we'll see you on our next podcast next time.